I'm Mike Franzone, and you're listening to the Prophecy Channel. Today we'll be looking at the road to Armageddon, the march to Armageddon. The seven bowls are released there in Revelation chapter 16. You know, Revelation has three series of judgment. There's the seal judgments in Revelations 4 and 5. There are the trumpet judgments, Revelations 8 and 9. And there are the bowls or the vile judgments in Revelations chapter 16. So we want to look at what's going to happen right before the battle of Armageddon takes place. And that is these seven judgments that take place on the earth at the end of the tribulation period. But we want to review and let's begin in Revelations chapter 15. I want to show you a couple of things there first before we get into the actual chapter of 16. And Revelations 15 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Very important. Hang on to that. Now verse 5 of Revelations chapter 15 says this, After these things... I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. Out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures came to the seven angels with the seven bowls full. The seven bowls, he says, are full of the wrath of God. You notice he says in verse 1 that it's complete. Then he says, the wrath of God is full, who lives forever and ever. Verse 8 says, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. He sets the stage for the worst judgments during the tribulation period. These judgments will be poured out in rapid succession, rapid fire. They are complete. They are full. They are, they're so severe that most scholars believe that they will only uh, last a month or two and then we have the second coming of Christ. This is all going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. And maybe the last month, maybe the last two months of the tribulation period. We don't really know. That's why he writes in Matthew 24, 22. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Jesus comes to earth. He goes to Petra first, and then he ends with Armageddon, and then he ends up at the Mount of Olives. In Armageddon, I'll say this once, I might say it again. Armageddon is actually a series of battles. It will culminate, I believe, in the Valley of Megiddo, what's called Armageddon but it's actually a series of battles when Jesus comes back again. All right, Revelation chapter 16, and I think we'll just go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls or the vials of the wrath of God on the earth. Seven angels. Here's the number of completion and perfection. Remember in uh, 15, 1, in Revelation 15, 1, he says that it is complete. Again, he says later, it's the wrath of God is full. And we have seven angels, the number of completion and perfection. Even when God judges, it is perfect. 
it is right. Revelation 15, 6 says it describes a very, very powerful angel. Now, he says in verse 1 of Revelation 16, he says that he uh, heard a loud voice from the temple. I believe this is God's voice. It's very involved, and God is very involved, and God gives a command because this is the end of it. This is when the judgment is full. It's from the temple. I believe it's from the New Jerusalem that I believe is in heaven. And he has a loud verse. You can hear it there on the earth. And then he says this, these bowls are poured out. Now, it's a Greek word, which is phialai, phialai, which means a shallow bowl. Sometimes it is translated as a vial because what it is, is not a bowl in the sense you and I think of it. It's a flat bowl, almost what we would call a censer. So it's not kind of in the modern sense. A little shallow, shallow censer, very shallow type bowl. That's why they call it vial, and you could translate it as bowl, whatever you want to translate it. Now, let's begin looking at these judgments. These judgments are the precursor to the Battle of Armageddon. And these judgments set up, all seven judgments set us up for the Battle of Armageddon. And I believe that will happen in the seventh vial or the seventh bowl. The first bowl, verse 2. So the first went out and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Let's break this down. He says there were sores. Now, that word sores there means um, a festering wound or a ulcer. It actually gives you the feeling and the root of an oozing pus. He says he poured out that bowl, and upon the earth there was a foul and loathsome sore, an ulcer, an oozing pus. On who? On those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Look at the word foul. That means evil, rotten, uh, serious injury, stinking. And it's a loathsome sore, which again means the toilsome, bad, malicious. It's a malignant sore that spreads like a cancer. Now, what we're going to see, we see it here right now. We see a uh, comparison to the book of Exodus. In Exodus... When Moses was uh, confronting Pharaoh, all these judgments happened against Egypt. Those same judgments can almost pictured here in Revelations. From the very beginning of the Bible, when Moses is confronting Pharaoh to hear the very end of the judgments, because we know in Revelation, uh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 9 through 11, there were boils. God caused boils to come upon the people of Egypt. Ulcerated sores. The same thing is happening here at the end of days. It's almost like AIDS. It's a sore that's festering. It's an oozing pus. It's foul. It smells. It's loathsome. It's malicious. It spreads like a cancer on who? Only those who take the mark of the beast. The only people afflicted will be those with the mark. And the irony of the whole thing is this. They accept the mark to avoid suffering. Because we know what the Bible says here in Revelations that if you don't take the mark of the beast, right, 
if you don't take that mark, you can't buy or sell. You can't be involved in daily commerce. You're going to just, you're lose out economically. That's it. You're going to starve to death. If they don't kill you, you're going to starve to death. And so they take the mark to avoid suffering. And now they suffer in a terrible way. And they begin to pay a price for choosing Satan over God. Verse 3, a second bowl is poured out. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood, as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Blood. Well, you take that Greek word, and it actually means congealed blood. It's like, the, like a dead man's blood, thick and congealed. It coagulates. It's like a jelly, a thick jelly. And this is important to hang on to that. He says he pours out that bowl, and when he pours out the bowl on the third, the second angel, that it becomes the blood of a dead man and every creature in the sea. So what this does, this judgment affects all the oceans. It's a natural disaster with a supernatural component. The world has never seen anything like this. Leviticus says, Leviticus 17, 11, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Here we see this great reservoir of life. He pours out this jelly congealed and whatever happens, you know, we can, he could do it supernaturally. He could use the natural uh, disaster, but ultimately this is a supernatural component. And ultimately this judgment is coming from God. He pours this ugly congealed thick dead man's blood into the ocean. And what happens? Every living creature in the sea dies. Now the womb of life, which is the ocean, becomes a massive grave. Now think about this. The cool sea breezes now become a stench from all the rotting carcasses that and many are floating to the surface. There's a bloody shoreline. All the commercial fishing is gone. And the world commerce seems absolutely paralyzed. Again, this is an illusion, a picture from Exodus chapter 7, the exact same thing in Exodus chapter 7, verse 20 through 25. When Pharaoh is judged, God releases blood into the water. Well, it gets worse. Look at verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. This is the third bowl that's poured out. I'll read it to you. The third angel poured out his bowl on the river and springs of water. They became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters angel of the waters. Hang on to that. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is because you've judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their due. And then verse 7 says, And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. This word for blood is a different Greek word. It doesn't mean congealed jelly-like blood. This word means fluid. This is blood that is watery, that's fluid, not congealed, not the blood of a dead man. Somehow this is poured into the rivers and the springs of water, which is fresh water. The rivers and the springs, the water under the earth, all of it becomes polluted. 
And what's really crazy is men will be forced to drink blood. The fresh water sources are contaminated in the last month or two of the tribulation period. The water supply on earth is altered. Earth's ecology is changed. The oceans and the rivers, you know, act as, co- as kind of God's great air conditioner. And what it does, it sweeps away impurities. Uh, it helps nature's balance. Now, you know, so now all of it will be decayed. The oceans are decaying. Fresh water supplies are decaying. And the foul air sweeps across the globe. Fish, man's food is gone. The oxygen supply on earth is diminished. People with respiratory issues now will suffer. But I want, to, I want you to look at something, because here's something I thought that really stood out. He says, the angel of the waters in Revelation 16, 5, the angel of the waters, the superintendent of God's water department on earth is an angel. Let us not forget that the angels are a race created by God. And the angels have been assigned many ministries. There are angels that are assigned on different areas of this earth. Ecology goes on and on. This is an angel that is superintending, right, the waters on the earth. Angels help with the physical universe. So they're very active. And another question is this, why blood? Well, Revelations 5, 6, 7, you know, this uh, chapter 16 tells us, They shed blood, and God will make them drink blood. The Old Testament here is eye for an eye, ear for an ear. Because he says, you're righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have judged these things. They, this earth, this world, they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And we know just looking at that particular time in history, there'll be more martyrs than any time in the history of the world. And there's been some pretty bad times in history. They've shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. In the Old Testament, it was eye for an eye, ear for an ear, justice only now, blood for blood. This is the divine retribution. And this is the answer to the martyr's prayer that's found in Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, 10, and 11, where the martyrs that are under the altar who have been executed and killed by the Antichrist, they're crying out for justice. Because we know in one of my past messages that there's going to be a terrible time on earth for the last three and a half years. There's going to be savagery, butchery, They're going to go after the Jews and they will be going after the Christians and they'll be the greatest time in history of martyrdom. Now, that was number three. A fourth bowl is poured out. Revelation 16, 8 and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched with great heat, and he blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Let's break this down. When he pours out this bowl, this angel, he pours it out on the sun. And he says, and the power was given to him to scorch men with fire. All God has to do 
is to remove one or two blankets of atmosphere. Pull the earth a little closer, and it's going to be terrible. He uses the word here in the Greek language to scorch. He's given to him to scorch men with fire. This particular Greek word scorch is kalmarizo, which means to burn up, to be scorched with intense heat. This great heat will cause third degree burns. And he's almost describing third degree. I mean, third degree burns are like the worst, right? They are the worst that you can have. And he says, because of this, there will be a great heat. Men will be scorched with great heat. Now, the, the word great there is important because it's the word mega. It's the word megas, which means huge, gigantic, a great burning heat that will scorch and cause third degree burns. But the real irony of all this is this. Did man repent? Knowing that there's something supernatural with all of these judgments and all of these disasters that are coming on the earth here, and it gets worse and worse. Did man repent? Look at verse 9. It says they did not repent. They did not give him glory. They blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and did not give him glory. I guess that's why Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 17, man's heart is incurably wicked. No amount of punishment will change his hard heart. Through history, man has worshipped the sun. The Mayans in Mexico, the Egyptians in, uh, have worshipped the sun god Ra. But now the sun is turned against them as this terrible heat. And somehow, God removes some of the atmosphere, the blankets that protect us even now. Even pulling the earth closer. Who knows what, how he's going to do it. When we talk about global warming, right? Global warming? Well, my friend, this is global warming on steroids. And that is, and it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty bad. Now, let's go on to the fifth bowl. This fifth bowl is poured out, verse 10 and 11. Now, this is a unique judgment. He says that the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became full of darkness. They gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Hear the throne of the beast and his kingdom. This judgment, when the angel pours out that vial, that bowl, he pours it out on the throne of the beast and his kingdom. Now, this special judgment will be on the Antichrist capital city. Whatever that is, whatever city that is, we don't quite know yet. We have our guest, and I'll be looking at that in another podcast. The Antichrist capital city and his kingdom, this judgment is poured out specifically on his kingdom and the capital city. And this is God's object lesson. The kingdom of darkness has become dark. When he pours his judgment out, they became full of darkness, and it's so bad that they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. But this is a very strange darkness. It's not normal. It's almost like what we call the black light, where the sun wattage is increased, but the heat is growing. But the black lights emit a UV radiation, even though you don't see the Brightness, the black light emits this UV radiation that can be harmful to the eyes. 
and even affect vision over time. Weaken the eyes can even cause blindness. The heat in the sun wattage is increased, and yet you don't really see that. This is pretty bad. If you go to Exodus chapter 10, here we go. Another judgment. There were 10 judgments against Pharaoh. And when Moses prayed, God caused darkness to go over all the kingdom of Pharaoh, over Exodus, over Egypt. And this darkness is bad. I mean, this is a blinding darkness. It's, it's used, and you know, it's an interesting Greek word because this particular Greek word, all right, it's, uh, let's see, I think you pronounce skatu, skatu is used to produce not only spiritual, physical darkness, but to produce moral and spiritual darkness. You can translate the word darkness as, yes, physical, but it's also used to speak of moral and spiritual darkness. The darkness that will come upon the kingdom of the Antichrist, the throne of the beast and his kingdom, is even more than physical. Because what it does, it shows the, the spiritual and evil and the moral darkness that this kingdom and the Antichrist has brought on the earth. I remember preaching a revival many years ago in a place called Meadville, Mississippi, in the middle of the forest. I think it was a Natchez forest in Mississippi. And the uh, evangelist took me out. He said, I want to show you something. We're in the middle of the forest. There's no moon out. He said, we turn the car lights off. I could not see. It was so dark in that forest, covered with no moon, trees everywhere. So dark, I could could not see my hand in front of my face. Just think about that. It's even worse. Matter of fact, he says that the kingdom of of the Antichrist, when he pours that out darkness out, they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And the word means to chew, to eat, to devour, to consume, to bite hard. It speaks of the intensity of the pain. Now let's just stop for just a second. Let's give you another a brief review of what's going, what's happening. The bowls are running consecutively. There's a first, second, third, fourth, fifth bowl of judgment. And, and they don't go away. It doesn't, it doesn't mean here in the language that, oh, it happens and they stop. And it happens that they get burned up here. They get bowl, boils and sores and they just go away. All of these plagues overlap each other. It is horrible. Man still has an oozing sores coming. Man still faces a, a deadly, uh, dead, dead ocean. Man still drinks blood. Man still has to deal with the third degree burns if he doesn't cover up. Antichrist's kingdom is still dark. Generally, there's a recognition that this is much more, much more than a natural disaster. Generally, they understand that this could have a supernatural component. But man is not repenting. Man is not turning from his sorceries. Man has not turned back to God. Armageddon is coming up with the soldiers and the people with putrid sores, pushy sores. <laughs> now think about that. When Armageddon comes up, you have soldiers and people with putrid, pussy sores, burns. This is going to be an ugly group of people. And that gets us to the sixth bowl, beginning in Revelation 16 beginning in verse 12. Hang on to this. It just gets worse. Because remember, they're running consecutively and they're overlapping each other. Verse 12 says this of Revelation 16. 
Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Verse 15, Behold, Jesus says, I come as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. All right, let's pull over and park on this series of verses here. The great river Euphrates, 1,800 miles long. It flows southeast into the Persian Gulf, formed the eastern boundary of the ancient Roman Empire. The great river was the cradle of civilization. It will now become the grave of man's civilization. And it got me to think of Revelations chapter 9. Now, I'm going to turn my Bible over there, Revelations 9, because he speaks about the Euphrates there. Here in Revelations 9, I'm going to read some of this to you. Listen to this. And I, I actually think this is the first invasion. I actually think that this mentioned in Revelation 16 is a second invasion. Just listen. Verse 13, Revelations 9. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, John writes. And this I saw the horses in the vision. He goes, really describes them and describes verse 18 about three plagues. A third of the mankind, a third of mankind is killed. It's a terrible, terrible time. But we won't go into all these details here, but that, that's going to be another message. But what we see is, is probably those from the East, China, right? Other places that are in the East, this first invasion. So I think this is the second invasion. So somehow, they, I believe they turn around, but they, there's a lot of killing. Mankind is butchered, killed. But here in Revelations chapter 16, he says that the great river Euphrates, all right? He says from the golden altar, uh, there's a, there are four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, I believe those are demonic angels because they're bound. And then he says here that to make way of the kings of the east. Here's the purpose. Euphrates is dried up for the kings of the east to move their armies to the valley of Megiddo. Armageddon. Who's on the east? You have China, Iran, Turkey, Muslim, many of the Muslim countries of the former Soviet Union, Vietnam. I mean, they're Burma. You could go on and on, Cambodia. And here we have that the east-west border is now gone. Once the Euphrates is dried up, that's it. The four demonic angels, fallen angels, are released, and they have been bound there for a reason. The four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day, they've been released. Let's go back to Revelation 16. Now listen to this. He says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up, so the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. But he saw something. He saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Again, here it is. This demonic trio here. Unclean spirits 
like frogs. I can't think of a better description description to describe demons. Demons are creatures of the night. They're ugly, they're dirty, they're slimy, they're filthy, and they're vile. They're disembodied spirits. And they're coming out of the mouth of what? This infernal trinity. He says they come out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, of the beast, which is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. All three of them are possessed with demons. Well, actually, Satan is, right? The head of all the fallen angels, the evil angels. But these are demons that are coming out of their mouth. And here's just a picture here. These three get the world to embark on a great crusade to rid the world of the Jews and to rid the world of Israel. All of these nations in Armageddon are moving to Israel, moving toward Israel. He says in verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, demons, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the east of the whole world to gather them together for the great day of God Almighty. Ultimately, this is God allowing it because God is going to bring judgment, final judgment on this earth. And these three demons do the dirty work. They're seducing spirits that lead the world to fight the Lord of heaven. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy that this is one of the signs of the last days. Let me read it to you here. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It goes on and on and on. But verse 1 is important. Giving heed to deceiving or seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Anti-Semitism is demonic, satanic. We saw it, we see it, we see it with our politicians here in America. We see it in Europe, and now we're seeing it in America with our own politicians. They are anti-Semites that hate the Jews. These seducing spirits lead the world to fight the Lord of heaven. Now they're they lead the world in a great crusade against the Jews. But ultimately, ultimately, it will turn to the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says the spirits of demons are performing signs. Now, the Hebrew or Greek word is semion. Semion, semion means miracles, marks or tokens, signs to authenticate, signs to seduce. These demons can perform some miracles, signs, marks. They're limited, but they can do some crazy things. You go back to the book of Exodus, and let's go back there. Remember when Aaron and Moses are confronting the magicians there in Egypt, trying to get the people free? If you remember, the magicians, the occult, the demon-possessed magicians in Egypt, they were able to make an inanimate object animated. They turned the, the um, rod, their rods, into snakes. Aaron turned his rod into a snake and it ate up the other snakes. But they turned him into snakes. It was not a um, sleight of hand. 
It was much more than a deception. The occult, demons and demon-inspired people have a certain amount of, I'm just going to use the word power, and some miracles. Here we see in Exodus, they were turning inanimate objects into animated objects. And here he's going to perform signs. The demons are through people will perform signs and marks to authenticate and seduce the world to bring millions to the Middle East. False propaganda as well. Fake news bringing them all to Israel. Let's get rid of this problem once and for all. Let's get rid of the Jewish problem once and for all. But ultimately, Jesus will show up. And ultimately, they actually will try to come against Jesus and he will destroy them. Verse 15, something happens. Jesus interrupts the vision. <laughs> Never could quite figure this out, but let's, let's read it and I'll explain it to you. Verse 15, in, in the middle of all these terrible judgments, he says, Behold, I am coming as a thief, Jesus says. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walks naked and they see his shame. Wow. What he's, God is saying here is it's a warning. Don't be left behind. Get ready now. The rapture is coming. You don't have to go through the seven-year tribulation. You can accept Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You can turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And then when the rapture happens, you'll go to heaven and you will miss this terrible judgment here on earth. Don't be on the earth is the warning. When all of this happens, don't be on the earth when all of this happens. Now look at verse 16. He says here, and they gathered them together in a place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Hebrew is Har Megiddo, means the mountains of Megiddo, situated at the foot of Israel's most Mount Megiddo. There is a valley there. It's, and today right there, there's what's called a large tell. A tell is a mound. Here's a mound made of human remains left behind over thousands of years. And they say, the archaeologists say within the mound there in Megiddo, there are remains of at least 20 ancient cities. This is a massive area. Many battles have been fought there. I mean, September 1918, World War I, General Allaby defeated the Ottoman army. The Megiddo has always been a strategic location. It's the crossroads that overlooks several trade routes. Megiddo is, the, Megiddo is the battlefield of the world. Barak and Deborah fought against Sisera there. Gideon fought the Midianites there. Saul was slain at the hands of the Philistines there. Ahaziah was slain by Jehu there. Pharaoh Necho slew the good king Josiah. It was there that Jeremiah lamented the slain of the armies of Josiah. The Druses, the Turks, armies of Napoleon all fought there. Matter of fact, they said Napoleon stood at the valley of Megiddo and he said this, all the armies of the world could maneuver their forces on this vast plain. Now, that brings us now to the seventh bowl that's poured out. This is the march, the road to Armageddon. All the things that will set up Armageddon on earth. The seventh bowl is poured out. The seventh angel, verse 17, poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the heavens and the throne saying, this is God's voice. It is done. That's it. It's done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as has not occurred since men were on the earth. 
Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Verse 20, Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, and each hailstone about the weight or of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Let's break this up. God calls out with a loud voice from his throne. It is done. And the word means to come into being. To become, it has happened. Now, in the Greek language, it's what's called a perfect tense, which means a completed action. A completed action with results continuing in the future. Let me explain. God's action as emerging from eternity and showing themselves in time, physical space, and in time, time and space. So what he's saying here, and in God's mind, it's already done. God is omnipresent. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. That's why God says, I am. I exist. I'm in the past. I'm at the present. And I'm in the future. So in the mind of God, it is already happened. And then here's what happens in verse 18. In verse 18, there are noises and thunderings and lightnings. And then on earth, there's a great earthquake. An earthquake that's never occurred since men were on the earth. This will be a mega quake. The greatest earthquake in history. Right now, I believe the largest earthquake ever recorded on the Richter scale was in Chile in 1960. 9.5, which is large earthquake, killed 5,700 people. They say January 23rd, 1556, there was an earthquake in Shenzi province in China. It was eight on the Richter scale, and they say it killed 830,000, close to a million people. Well, here's what's going to happen. This great earthquake that was the worst earthquake of all time, he says it has terrible results. He says the great city is split up into three parts. I believe, according to Revelation 11, 8, that this great city is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is never called Babylon. Babylon was the code word for Christians. It was the code word in the New Testament for Rome. Rome was called Babylon. So watch what he says. First result, Jerusalem is split up into three parts. And then the second thing is cities of the nations fell. So what we have is fault lines are opening all around the world. These, you've heard of the ring of fire. The ring of fire is this massive fault line. It actually begins in New Zealand somewhere. It goes all around the East Coast on the edge of China, Vietnam, or India. Uh, China goes all the way, then comes across to Canada, across the ocean to Canada, comes right down in California, come down all the way through the peninsula, right? near And all across South America, all to the very tip of South America. You could just draw a circle. This is called the ring of fire. Because they say that 90% of the world's earthquakes are caused by this ring of fire. There are 54 to 56 fault lines that crisscross the entire earth. So what happens when these plates begin to move? The whole earth is affected. And there's a domino effect. He says here that all the cities of the nations fell. So this domino effect is created through the ring of fire, through all the fault lines that run the earth. The whole earth is shaking. 
Nations are falling. People are dying. Buildings are coming apart. But the third thing that happens is great Babylon is remembered. I think if you go to Revelation 17 and 18, he gives you the details of the destruction of Babylon. I don't believe it's the city of Babylon. I don't believe Babylon is going to be rebuilt. I believe it's a certain city that has been used by the Antichrist, that promoted the Antichrist. In Greek, he uses the definite article, kai. Kai means and. And he's speaking of a specific concept, a specific people, animal or a thing. However, I believe that Babylon is Rome. It's the city on seven hills. And they are, even today, we're seeing this happen, all right? That the Vatican is now, and we're talking not to the people, but we're talking about the leaders. They're amalgamating all the religions of the world. All the religions of the world. And the religions of the world, when they all get together, all one world religion, that will help promote the Antichrist. But ultimately, the Antichrist will destroy the, all the world religions and the amalgamation, the false prophet will promote Antichrist through religion and uh, whatever they call it. All the weird religions will be amalgamated. They'll just put Jesus to the side and the deity of Christ. Put, as long as we don't have the deity of Jesus, we all love each other, right? That's what they're talking about today. This, it's all about love. Let's put, a, all, put aside all of our differences. Doesn't matter what you believe. We're all one. That world religion will promote Antichrist. But ultimately, Antichrist will destroy it because he wants to be worshipped alone because he has Satan in him. I believe Babylon is Rome. And if you see in Revelation 17, a city is destroyed. In Revelation 18, a system is destroyed. When he says great Babylon was remembered, God says, this is it. I did not forget you. You will be destroyed. Now, again, like I said before, more messages coming out. We will talk about Revelation 6, 17, and 18 and get into more detail. He says, said, The great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And that means they sank into the sea. They escaped. They ran away. It means that, it means that there's a picture here that the, every island just ran away. It just sank, was gone. And he says here, I thought this is interesting too, and the mountains were not found. Now, in the Greek language, it means you could not find them after searching for them. They, they were disappeared, they flattened, whatever happened. After searching for the mountains, you could not discover them. Any mountain that they're looking for was gone, even after searching diligently. That's what it means there in the Greek language. Well, let's go a little farther. Verse 21, we're almost done here. The great hail from heaven great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent, which is a hundred pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So here we have hailstones, anywhere from 75 to a hundred pounds. Now, when these things fall down on the earth, when they fall on men, they will kill they will smash cars. They will smash people. They will smash buildings. You know, even a small hailstone like a golf ball can kill you. Here we have a diameter of 29 to 30 inches in diameter, running, falling at a speed of almost 300 miles per hour. 
Even in uh, April 14, 1986, in the Bengali desert, there was a series of hailstones that only weighed about 2.2 pounds. They killed 90 people. In Coffeyville, Kansas, 1970, there was hailstones that were five inches in diameter, made almost, weighed almost two pounds. They killed people. They ruined crops. They destroyed cars. What would happen if hailstones weighing 100 pounds, they would like, be like bombs hitting the earth? Many will die. Many places gone. Destroying buildings. And what was the great result? This is the judgment of God. This is the final judgment. Now we're moving towards Armageddon. And it could be part of Armageddon. But look at verse 21. He says here that men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. They didn't even repent. They were so hard. This displays their utter contempt for God. You know, let me tell you something about the sun. The sun can either melt or it can harden. When the Son of God shows up, He either melts your heart or you harden your heart. And that heart can get harder. These folks, their heart is hard. They, the people of earth, the population on earth that have not accepted Jesus as their Savior, their heart gets harder. These survivors are still anti-God. Millions have died. Eco the ecology is gone. The world is destroyed. Revel Let's see, Leviticus 24, 14 says blasphemers, those who blaspheme God, were to be stoned. Isn't this a just punishment? These hailstones come down. They kill immediately. The next step, which will be another message, is the Battle of Armageddon. And let me hasten to say that the Battle of Armageddon is actually a series of battles. Hang on to that. Someday we'll have another podcast on the battle, and, and, and the Bible gives us some pictures of what the battle will look like. Thank you so much for listening, and this has been Mike Franzone, and this has been the Prophecy Channel.